On this week's episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I, Russ Heltman, dive into all things NBA bubble, initial reactions from the first week of action, a very, very highly contested, high level of play first week from the NBA bubble. We'll give out team of the week, player of the week, and bat around some uh, news and notes surrounding all things happening in Orlando. Lane number two, we dive into some more coronavirus in sports updates surrounding Major League Baseball. They have gotten the Marlins team back underway, and they're still in first place after a uh, 4-0 victory to get their season back cooking. And then we have some more updates surrounding the Pac-12 football players' uh, initial demands from that league and some other leagues around college football making some schedule updates. We will close out the program with a little ode to the times, the brutal times, when we did not have sports over the past few months. The three things Patrick Fetch and I didn't think we would miss as much as we have concerning everything in the world of sports. It's going to be a fun little list. It's going to be a fun show. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, throw us five stars, and stay tuned for this week's episode of Riding 3x3. Cruising right into lane number one on this week's Riding the 3x3, a very beautiful NBA jam-packed first lane of this week's Riding the 3x3. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined as always by Patrick Fetch. Pat, how are we doing? We are a week into the NBA. I'm going to call it the NBA August Madness because it's basically felt like March Madness with all the great games and then being on all day. The bubble is bursting with great games, Pat. Not coronavirus positive tests, but great basketball, and we're all here for it. Uh, It was beautiful. The NBA is killing it with this bubble right now. Everything feels natural. I I really – it doesn't feel that off. I know that the fans and the whole noise is different, but – when you have multiple screens going, I've got two baseball games on and NBA on. It's really not that much different for me. I'm not seeing that much different. So you're right, man. It's been beautiful. And I know you're loving it, the NBA guy. You are. You you just must be in heaven right now. Pat, it's been incredible. I was a little weary as to, you know, it's probably going to be crappy basketball for the first four to five games. The guys got to get their legs underneath them, got to get the chemistry back. But no. It seems like the ramp-up time they allowed these players to have in the bubble for then the preceding weeks before everything tipped off has proved to be really, really beneficial. The no travel, I think, has played a massive factor in how high-scoring and how competitively balanced these games have been. And to go along with that, Pat, it's just, you know, these guys are creatures of habit. They can kind of settle into a role there in the bubble. There's not really anything to worry about outside of just waking up, making sure you get your coronavirus tests and going to the court and and getting your shots up so I think the lack of outside distractions and the ability just to focus on basketball has really made it simple for these guys to jump right back in and on top of that nobody seems really too much out of shape there was obvious grumblings with the lack of minutes that Zion played in the first few games but that was more of a set plan as opposed to him not being in shape and outside of that I mean it seems though that some of the pictures Pat uh, that we got from the uh, the social media ether throughout the past few months as players were ramping back up in their training don't necessarily uh, uh, speak truth, so to say. Marcus Gasol <laughs> does not look as skinny as Marcus Gasol looked in that picture. Nikola Jokic, whoever photoshopped that picture from that gym in Serbia, bravo. Give, that, give somebody a job on their digital team because he is not that skinny, Pat. And then the biggest most egregious Photoshop or accused Photoshop for me has to be that Zion Williamson wearing the mask photo. 
he is looking a little chunkier than the uh, the cut up uh, phenom he appeared to be in that picture. But all that being said, the basketball has been incredible. I've really enjoyed it. The only gripe I had, Pat, to start off was the fact that I am all for the social justice messages, all that on the back of the jerseys. I think it's great. I honestly think it's worked even better than I thought it would because every time I see the jerseys and I see those phrases or whatever, it just is another reminder of the uh, the type of improvement we need to have in this country. But I was getting confused the first weekend, Pat. I got to be honest. I know a lot of NBA players, but those 14th, 15th men on the bench, I don't necessarily have names down to faces for those guys. So I was very happy that the NBA on uh, after the weekend games decided to add a little nameplate at the bottom of each jersey uh, for the remainder of the bubble. And outside of that, that was my only gripe. The crowd noise, I think, works perfectly, especially late in games, Pat. Have you noticed? It's been pretty seamless. When I've had the sound on for these late-game moments, it's been the big defense chance. It hasn't seemed, to me at, at least at home, to really have any lessened intensity or any lessened effect. And if anything, Pat, with what's on the line for almost all of these 22 teams in the bubble, it seems like the level of intensity has gone up, if anything. Yeah, it's been a complete, the noise in the crowd has been a complete non-factor for me as a fan, which I'm delighted mm-hmm. about. And as far as your point on the quality of play, I think I made a point last week talking about Major League Baseball, how the hitters have impressed me on some of the slugging teams so far. Well, I think the NBA is impressing me too in the same way that, yeah, the quality of play is much, much better than I think a lot of us expected. I think we expected almost like a preseason training camp vibe. Hasn't been that way whatsoever. Hasn't been that way whatsoever. And so that's been awesome. The intensity, I think that's all what all of us as fans were worried about, right, is what will be the intensities in any of these leagues and any of these games? Will it have that same feel, that same regular season feel, that just natural feel? And the NBA is the one league that I truly feel has done that for me at least. And as far as your point on the body types and the body sizes that you're seeing, are you sure it's not just like an, a relative NBA thing? Because I feel like once you get these NBA players out in normal crowds, that's when they just look so different, though. But then once you put I them next to each true. other, right, then they all that's, just look that's a, normal. That's a good point, Pat, because all, all those pictures were basically being taken of the actual individuals in an open gym, empty gym setting. And these guys, when they're back out on the floor with their peers, it can kind of kind of blend back into the former body types that we're used to seeing. But yeah, let's dive into the basketball, Pat. Let's dive into, I wanted to do this first week of the bubble. Every single team has now played at least three games, Memphis having played their fourth game. And at this point, Pat, I think Memphis would have rather not even shown up to the bubble because they are 0-4 now. They are quickly in, in danger of not only losing the eight seed, but not even getting a chance to play in the play-in game. Pat, if they continue on this this path that they're on, if they only able to notch one, maybe two victories out of the eight games, then Portland, San Antonio could be a matchup. New Orleans, Portland, Portland's, uh, or excuse me, New Orleans, San Antonio. Pick your poison with any of those. And the Suns. The Suns are three and zero after their victory, buzzer beater style from uh, Devin Booker over the LA Clippers on Tuesday afternoon. So Memphis very quickly um, falling fast, swiftly down the standings of the Western Conference. They came in with that three-and-a-half game lead, and it's uh, it's given them some cushion, but now only one-and-a-half up on Portland, who I have as the t- – excuse me, before we get to Portland, I have to note 
it's sadly for Memphis, Pat, they lose Jaron Jackson. And we should actually right. touch on the two big injuries real quick before we get into the teams. Jaron Jackson tears his meniscus. He was just lighting it up through the first three games of the C- of the restart for Memphis. 25.3 points per game, had a 33-point performance, and was averaging 17.4 points on 40% shooting from three-point range this season. He was one of those really key cogs, young players for this Memphis team that uh, surprised so many this year, being in that eighth spot heading into the restart. He is gone for the season, as is Jonathan Isaac, who tears his ACL in just brutal fashion. They were up late in the game against the, uh, I believe it was the Sacramento Kings, and one of the key pieces, the best young player, him and Markel Fultz, on the Orlando Magic goes down with an ACL injury uh, on a knee in which he had just come back from an injury, Pat, in January. And funny enough, he was actually wearing a brace on that knee when the ACL gave out. So we hope for speedy, quick recoveries for those two big men. And they're t- two huge losses for two teams on the uh, fringes of the playoff spot bubble. Brutal losses and young guys, too. So it's tough. You're going to have to see how this really changes their career. But, I mean, I don't know. You have to think about how the restart, you know, you, this seems like just freak injuries that happen in the nature of the game. So it's tough to see, but hopefully they are able to come back healthy. Two young guys, so. Jonathan Isaac, I think a much more, not that a torn meniscus is ever insignificant, but right. the torn ACL, it was really, Especially really bad. On, yeah, when you saw him come down like that, it was really bad. The meniscus is a is a, a, a ligament that you can, you can, you can't obviously afford to have it tear and still keep playing, but it's not something I think that will derail the trajectory of Jaron Jackson's young career versus Jonathan Isaac, second major knee injury in his time in the NBA. I, I just think it's going to be really difficult, sadly, for him to reach his ceiling uh, now that he's had to face that. But my team of the week, Pat, as we transition into our team of the week and player of the week, I was going to lean the Toronto Raptors but I felt I just needed to lean into my pick for last week's episode, my team to make some noise in the bubble, the Portland trailblazers. They start two and one so far in the bubble. They are currently just, what are they, Pat? They are currently one and a half games back of the Memphis Grizzlies. They hold the tiebreaker over the San Antonio Spurs right now because they have played one more game on the season. And that's not going to change, obviously, with every team playing eight reseeding games. So that's a big advantage that they could have with how tight this race is. They had a beautiful, beautiful performance in the opener against the Memphis Grizzlies. 140-135 victory. This team, Pat, has just come out firing. Yusuf Nurkic has done a great job in the return so far through the first few games. I love what he's done. 22 points per game through these first three contests. 12.3 total rebounds. Even 4.3 assists just behind C.J. McCollum for the most assists on the team so far in the restart. He's been amazing. 3.3 blocks. Just basically picked up right where he left off in 2018-2019 when, Pat, he was arguably a top three, top five true center in the NBA for a Portland Trailblazers team that even without him went to the Western Conference Finals last season. I've just really liked what I've seen from Portland, despite the loss to the Boston Celtics um, this past weekend. It was still a great performance overall, once again, by Nurkic, 30 points, 12 of 20 uh, from the field, and poured in nine rebounds as well. And they 
showed me a lot of fight in that game, Pat, where they were just dominated through the first first half. 37-24, 30-24 for a 19-point lead heading into halftime. But that didn't that didn't quell the Portland Trailblazers' resolve. They ended up outscoring the Boston Celtics by excuse me by 15 in the second half to push that game really tight and make a game out of it. But they ultimately fell and rebounded last night on Tuesday in a 110-102 victory against the Rockets. Carmelo Anthony hits a massive shot down the stretch to essentially stick the dagger in the gut of the Houston Rockets. He's been a nice, solid player filling in for Trevor Ariza at the three spot. He's slimmed down a little bit, reapportioned some weight. And last night, Carmelo Anthony, a solid performance once again, as he's been all throughout the restart. Not as efficient as you'd like, 5 of 14, but hit that big bucket down the stretch and poured in 15 points. Pat, this team is very, very complete to me. They know their eight guys. Uh, They know who they can rely on coming off the bench, i.e. Hassan Whiteside and Gary Trent Jr., man. He has been awesome so far. Four for nine from three-point land and uh, victory against the Houston Rockets. He played 35 minutes, gave him 16 points. And over the last three games, 21 points against the Boston Celtics over the weekend, 17 points in the opener of the bubble against Memphis. And he has just really, really lit it up from three. 45% against the Houston Rockets, 63% against Boston, and 80% from downtown against Memphis. If he's hitting those types of shots off the bench, Pat, they're going to be a very tough out for the Lakers in the first round should they win those seeding games. They're just a tough matchup all the way around. And I agree with you. I mean, as fun as it would be to see Zion or you know one of these electric rookies sneak into that eight seed, Portland is actually a pretty interesting matchup for the Lakers and they're great in the spots that the Lakers aren't necessarily they have that opera uh those two guard play absolutely Mm -hmm. nightmare matchup for the Lakers and they have those two big guys that they can stick down low with the white side Nurkic like you were saying obviously Nurkic I think one of those few players that can somewhat match up with Anthony Davis I'm not going to say shut him down but he can he can give him a fair fight and, he, and they can give him different looks. I mean, even Whiteside, especially if they can get him matched up down low on AD whenever he gets to the paint, it still be hectic. You know, AD's got to have a lot of tall bodies to go around that game. And while LeBron's a nightmare matchup for everybody, it still would be interesting because if those guards can get hot enough and push the pace on the offensive floor enough for them, they're tough. They're just a tough matchup up and down the court. And that was a great pick, great foresight for you last week. I think I took the Grizzlies right, and so tough. <laughs> Tough. Didn't envision yeah. the Jer- Jaron Jackson injury, Pat. You got to got to cut yourself some slack on that one. But right. they just they're young. They can't that- complete games. But and that's the difference. That's what the, it's exactly what the Portland Trailblazers have been doing. They've been showing their uh, that veteran and the experience yeah, on that team. Guard play. Games. Exactly. The guard play down the stretch has been so crucial in their ability to close these teams out and and having guys like Yusuf Nurkic to have that defensive resolve, bring that type of gamer mentality on that end of the floor and also Carmelo Anthony on Tuesday night showing the veteran savvy the resolve to hit big time shots and big time moments Pat who's your team of the week I'm gonna have to go to the team you mentioned um the Toronto Raptors I'll give some Mm -hmm. shout outs I mean the Heat have looked awesome I think uh I really like how the Pacers have looked I mean TJ Warren's been electric there's been some good teams I really like the Thunder I think the Thunder look awesome but the Raptors, the Raptors give me serious vibes of everything that San Antonio did for so long. And to where it just doesn't matter. They they play such good team basketball. 
it's so refreshing and so fun to watch. I mean, Fred Van Vliet, what they found in him is spectacular. He's pushing to get paid major money. And just the way they play team defense, too. I mean, they absolutely stifled the Lakers when they had the opportunity to play him. And it comes from everybody. It comes from Fred Van Vliet, from Lowry, Siakam. They're so complete and so impressive with, with just talent you don't think. But the way they play basketball is just better and smarter than everybody else in the NBA right now, it seems. And if I'm anybody in the East, I do not want to find my way with the Raptors. I want to see the Bucks in the finals, personally, as a fan. I want to see Giannis in the finals. But it's going to be a tough road. It's not so easy. He's not going to get the walk in the park. The Raptors have looked awesome. What are they, 3-0, and 4-0 in the bubble? Um, their 2-0. Defense is 2-0 so far, yeah. Just 2-0? Okay. Mm-hmm. But their, their defense in those two games were electric. I mean, that Lakers game, I, I was speechless. I was frustrated watching it because I had the other side. But you got to give credit where it's due. I mean, the Raptors have looked awesome. Pat, this this Raptors team, it's like it's like right when Kawhi left, he took the entire Raptors relevancy with him to the eyes of uh, eyes of the public. And I, to me, I got to agree with you. I, I thought I had a feeling that you were going to pick the Raptors, and that was why I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pick my team that I uh, stomped the stopped yeah, the yeah. gavel for last week. But the Raptors are the team of the restart. They're playing the best basketball of anybody in the bubble right now. 107-92 victory over the L.A. Lakers and absolutely shut down Anthony Davis, Pat. They built a defensive brick wall on the interior of that defense and just showed no love to Anthony Davis. So I believe finished that contest with 14 points, was shooting less than 35% in the game. Just a brutal showing for Anthony Davis. And that's going to be the biggest key for these Raptors team is – can they continue to transfer that defensive acumen, that defensive intensity, game in and game out? It all starts with Kyle Lowry, who in that Lakers game dropped 33 points and uh, had probably his best performance of the season. And then you look at the victory over the Miami Heat uh, just a couple days ago, one in which Fred Van Vliet goes 36 points, Pat, 8 for 16 from the field. It was just a spellbinding performance. It's another one of those games by Van Vliet where he just is that type of gamer personality. He doesn't do anything flashy. He doesn't do anything super sexy, but he just goes out there and pours it in, especially from deep where he had seven of 12 threes, got to the line at will 13 of 13 from the charity stripe. And that's how you notch 36 points on just four, two point field goals uh, by one Fred Van Vliet, who is also a sieve or a, uh, a civil disruptance on the defensive end because of how he's able to lead the league in deflections. He's always got his nose around the ball. And I think Pat Nick nurse has pretty much established himself as the best strategic game in X's and O's strategy type of coach night in and night out in the NBA, his ability to, break the conventional rules of defense, especially going to some zone every now and then playing some box and one against the uh, Warriors last season and Steph Curry. He kind of has thrown out this idea that it's a one-on-one league. These players are so talented on offense. You can't ever play anything but one-on-one. No, he trusts his guys to go out there and execute a game plan at a high level. And that's a big reason why they are, I think I'd say, arguably the third best team in the NBA right there with the Clippers and at least the fourth best team in the league right now, right behind them. But on their best night, they can beat anybody in the league. And they proved that in a 15 point victory over the LA Lakers. I'll let you start 
our next topic in lane one before we close things out. Who is your player of the week? Player of the week. I kind of want you to go because I don't want to steal your shine. I mean, I, I already – I had a couple in mind, so I, I was going to pick the one you didn't. Okay. I'm going to leave you with uh, with our man from NC State, Pat, because I'm going to okay. have to go with Mr. Devin Booker. This okay. is a guy okay. who just became, I believe, the sixth youngest player in NBA history to notch 7,500 points. Did that in the bubble. He is perennially, ever since uh, being drafted, what, back in uh, five years ago, and being the first round pick of the Phoenix Suns, 2015 NBA draft, 13th overall. He comes in and immediately is just a empty stats score. That's what he's been, honestly, up until 2019, when finally paired with a competent point guard in Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker has just exploded. This season averaging 26.3 points, 4.2 rebounds, six and a half assists. He's been so lights out and it's, become even more magnified in the bubble where he's averaging 28 and a half points per game, four rebounds, four assists. He's cut down the turnovers to just four per game. He's shooting 43% from the field, uh, just 27% from the three point line. But that ability to turn contact into trips to the free throw line has really, really helped him boy that, um, that troubling percentage from deep in this restart and the game winner lights out fade away hand in the face, arguably a foul yesterday on Tuesday against the LA Clippers to give the Suns their biggest win of the season. They are now right there hanging around the eight seed in the Western conference. They have some teams that they have to jump. So it's going to be tough for them to get into the play in scenario. They still have the Spurs, Pelicans and Blazers above them in the West playoff race for that eight seed. But 23, excuse me, two and a half games back of Memphis. They're just one and a half games back of the Portland Trailblazers for the ninth seed. Should they continue to win? Devin Booker might finally get this team into the playoffs for the first time in his career. Devin Booker's awesome. He's awesome. I'm really I rooting for him. Out. I, I I really really pissed off my girlfriend yesterday when uh, when I yelled at like the top of my lungs because that was one of those shots Pat at the end of the game we were like all right he's just gonna try to hit the fadeaway turn yep. around that's way too hard not gonna go in and this man it literally looked like he willed it into the basket the way he released the flick of the wrist and the way the trajectory of that ball dropped chef's kiss beautiful and they sent. PG after him. They sent Kawhi after him. Everybody knew what was happening. Everybody in the world I was watching knew exactly where the ball was going. It was awesome. I mean, I, from one professional score to the other, can we talk about TJ Warren a little bit? Oh, boy. Take the floor, Pat. Take the floor. TJ Warren, the man at NC State. Now, I remember TJ Warren in college. He, uh, he knocked out my Xavier Musketeers. I believe it was a first four matchup. And... He did back then exactly what he's doing now, which is just score the basketball. And he started it off with the 53-point performance against the 76ers, which was an all-time performance, really. An incredibly impressive performance when you look into the box score. I think he was like, what, 20 for 29? I'm getting it up right now. 20 for 29 from the field, 9 for 12 from 3. Perfect four for four from the stripe. Only one turnover, two on the day. He was just magnificent. And against a very good, long, good defensive team in the Sixers, not an easy team to put up 53 against. He followed that up 
I think he went for, what, 34, 32 the next game. Had 11 boards against the Wizards, too. Three straight victories for the Pacers. I'll tell you who was not paying attention to the Eastern Conference in this bubble return. That was me. There was not a lot of interesting intrigue. There's not a lot of seeding to be done. TJ Warren gave me a reason to care, gave me a reason to watch. He's been awesome. And he's given the Pacers just a whole new look as well. They they look like a whole new team. Someone who could be sneaky in the first couple rounds too. I, I the dynamic of right, not just like this new feel, new vibe to a team that you're not used to. I think they've mm-hmm. taken some teams by surprise, shocked some teams, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that continue. Right there in the battle with Miami jockeying for position in the four five spot in the Eastern Conference. I, I have a feeling they're going to stick pretty much firm in this fifth spot, but who knows if they can uh, rattle off some more wins, continue this 3-0 and start to the bubble, then they could easily hop Miami. But, Pat, it's just it's pretty bonkers what T.J. Warren is doing over these first three games. You mentioned the scoring, but the efficiency is just ridiculous. He's shot yeah. 80% from three against Orlando. It tailed off against Washington, went one for six, but you mentioned the nine for 12 from uh, from deep in the first game overall I was over 50% in every single one of those games shot 76% against Orlando and Pat in that 53 point performance you mentioned the four free throw attempts went four for four from the line he is one of just three players to notch a 50 point game or more in the past decade while attempting four or fewer trips or sh- while attempting four or fewer shots at the free throw line the other two players the Splash Brothers from Golden State, Steph Curry there you go. and Klay Thompson. So Not like you mentioned, company. he is a professional scorer. He's a guy that coming into the NBA, you might have killed someone with the disbelief that they would have had at the thought that TJ Warren would be able to actually shoot 30% from three, let alone put on a shooting performance over a three-game stretch hovering right around 45 50% from, from deep. So the fact that he has added that to his arsenal – and also the little chip on their shoulder of being traded for cash considerations from the Phoenix Suns to the Indiana Pacers has done wonders for T.J. Warren on a Pacers team, Pat, that is working Victor Oladipo back into the fold. I like what I've seen from him. He's been a little timid on the defensive end and hasn't necessarily fully gotten his legs back underneath him. But I like what I've seen from Victor Oladipo. Was played limited minutes, hasn't topped out past 27 Went 13 points yesterday against the Orlando Magic, four for eight from the field. And he's going to be a guy who's going to have to be a huge factor once he fully gets his legs back underneath him, once we uh, once we get going here in the playoffs. And then Demonis Sabonis is reportedly going to try and return to the bubble within the next few days, maybe within the next week. And hopefully they'll get him through the quarantining process and get him back on the floor for the last couple seeding games and have him ready to go for the playoffs. So a fully healthy, dangerous, and disrespected Indiana Pacers team could be on deck for the uh, playoff run once we get there for the next 10 to 14 days. Pat, that wraps up this week's NBA lane. There's going to be NBA lanes on every single ride in the 3 by 3 for the next few months. So we'll get our definite fill of all that good stuff. Moving into lane number two, Pat, we'll get through some coronavirus news and notes here surrounding the MLB and college football. Major League Baseball had the Marlins return back to the Diamond this week. They went, I think it was 11 full days without playing a competition. 
didn't matter, Pat. They had half their team uh, playing with play- – they had half their roster as replacement players. Got a 4-0 victory and remained atop the uh, NLE standings now at 3-1. and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, their schedule is just ludicrous. There's like a three-team series going on between, what is it, the Orioles, the Marlins, and the Yankees? Yeah. It's just – I. They're just throwing darts at the board now in Major League Baseball, Pat. It's it, they've they've thrown out all all uh, facade of of actual uh, true integrity of competition. It's all about the dollar bills now. Cash, exactly, yeah. And it's fine. Like that's fine. Just be honest with it. Like as a fan, I've just given up trying to follow along with with these stories as far as Corona. Like I don't know what the Cardinals situation really is anymore. I guess Harrison Bader went to a casino, and and just ruined it for everybody. And so now the Cardinals are going to have to make up a bunch of games. I'm just taking the baseball as it comes. That's all I'm doing. When it's on TV, I'll take it as it comes. I will watch it as it comes. And from that point, I have enjoyed it enough. But, man, I mean, what are, the, what are they doing? It's the refreshing part. When, you, when I tune into the NBA, at least I know I'm getting competent leadship, competent yes. organization. Like, I know the guys on the field feel – you know, you know no one's giving each other coronavirus. Exactly. I know the play. starting pitcher, the starting pitcher who's, you know, licking his fingers and throwing, touching every single ball, throwing exclusively spitballs on the mound. Like, I know that, I mean, you don't know. He's just, it's just, it's ridiculous what Major League Baseball is doing. But I'm still just a baseball fan, and I will take it as it comes. That's what I'm doing because I'm a dumb sports fan. Cardinals, Pat, returned to the field today for light workouts uh, after spending five days at the Fister Hotel upon uh, receiving news that the team had 13 positive tests in their traveling party, seven of them among players. And at this point, Pat, and concerning MLB coronavirus, I guess they're just they're basically going full steam ahead. It's going to take, I think, probably two to three teams having a Marlins-Cardinals-level outbreak at the same time for them to shut down the season. That or a death, uh, which obviously none of us want. But I think that's really the only thing that's going to stop these guys from from completing the season. A uh, sham of a season at that, one in which not all teams are even going to play 60 games, uh, let alone uh, 60 fair games. But that's just what we got to work with in baseball at this point. In college football, on the other hand, big news today, the first FBS program in major college sports has announced that they will not be conducting a football season in the fall. UConn came out with that news on Wednesday, August 5th, day of recording this week's Riding the 3 by 3 Pat, as the SEC has confirmed a 10-game conference-only schedule, the Big 12 has confirmed that as well, though with one of those games being a non-conference bout because if they were to play 10 conference games, it would be guaranteed that each team would play another team twice and maybe a third time in the ensuing Big 12 title game, so they don't want any of that. Seemingly, Pat, we are going to have a conference-only slate for college football this fall, if we even get college football, because on top of that, in the Pac-12, we have a large consortium of players, hundreds across 10 of the 12 uh, member institutions of the Pacific Athletic or the of the Pacific uh, 12 Conference. They have said that they will not be playing football this fall unless social justice demands are met, unless coronavirus safety health protocol measures are met, and unless 
they are to receive compensation, quote unquote, from a letter written in the Players' Tribune from the Consortium of Players. They want a 50% revenue split between the schools and the players of respective sports. Now, Pat, that is not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do a 50% revenue split because it's literally inconceivable to give a sport such as cross-country split of revenue that does not exist. The cross-country team does not create revenue. The only teams actually in college sports that create revenue are men's basketball and football. Some women's basketball programs might break even every now and then. UConn, Tennessee, the big names. But for the most part, it's it's men's and men's basketball and college football, Pat. And this is seemingly a massive step, a huge point of leverage for players as they have under the guy, not the guys, but under the direction of social justice, the George Floyd protests have found their voices in the uh, summer of 2020. It was awesome to see. I was super pumped to see it and good on them for using their leverage, uh, which seems to be much better than any of the professional leagues unions use, you know, their own leverage in their own leagues. Um, I don't think we're going to have college football this this fall. I don't. I just don't see a conceivable way that it happens unless things drastically change quickly. Unless they I mean, take I, the I, approach of Major League Baseball, where they just don't care. But then, it, but the, but you're you do, but yeah. the Major League Baseball is doing that with guys who have signed off, employees at that who have signed off on the conditions. These players are going back to campuses for the most part of which, Pat, that are not fully allowing students back onto their uh, grounds. They're essentially being called back similarly to the staff and faculty, the employees of the university. And they are not employees because they are not getting paid. And on top of that, the issue is they are college, like you said, they're going to be on college campuses. So that means you have to be somewhat responsible for the rest of the students and how they interact with the athletes, or you have to completely separate the two. Which is, don't seem very which is impossible. You can't separate the athletes and still call them students. So it it is it is seemingly a crossroads type of moment, week, month here for college athletics to the point at which I and Pat, I'll say this. I want players to get their just due. I want players to receive compensation of of some some kind. I want them to be able to go down the street and and get a get a, uh, a a ad deal with a local car dealership, but when we start getting into the slippery slope of paying the players from the coffers of the university, well, then it's it's kind of like where does it end? Are players then allowed to just leave whenever they want? Are they allowed to be fired by the university? Can they have their scholarships dropped whenever? Do does Texas then? For example, does Texas start trying to poach professional players because it's no longer amateurism, so they can they no longer have to worry about uh, having, say, Aaron Donald on a amateur status? They could say, "Hey, Aaron Donald, come play for Texas. We'll pay you two hundred million dollars, way more than what the LA Rams can pay you in a salary cap league, and also we have a lot more fans and a way uh, wider uh, base of uh, fan access." than the LA Rams could ever think of due to their alumni status and the history of the program. So it's just, it's the can of worms that I have trouble opening up, but the name image likeness Russ, stuff I mean, like I that think, has to be I instituted think, immediately. Yeah. I mean, I think it's inevitable. I think right now what we're seeing is the deconstruction of college sports. We've, we've already seen it with college basketball. I mean, I think college basketball is over as we know it pretty much 
the NBA opening up their developmental leagues. We've already seen top players either decide to play overseas professionally or go to these de- or just you know choose to do these developmental leagues. The NBA is offering. I think college Jaylen basketball. Green, we just, yeah, we just we that was one of our bigger episodes yeah, yeah. during the quarantine was discussing Jalen Green and uh, his decision. And so, I, I think college basketball is in very dire situation. I think a lot of universities are now, you know, looking at themselves and how they fund their athletics through, you know, and how just the entire, how fragile the whole operation is. And I think exactly you're right. I think you're going to find more professional leagues open up to younger players, or you're going to find, you know, the rock just bought the XFL. I mean, one of these leagues is going to, going to find a way to cater to these athletes who want to get paid and want to market themselves and don't want to be held under the clutches and all these rules of the NCAA. And so I think what we're seeing is just exactly that. And whether or not the universities will adapt quick enough, right? I mean, that is the can of worms. You know, the university's paying the players directly. But I, I truly, Russ, what you say about Texas, sort of like, you know, I don't think it's going to be the extent where they're competing with the NFL for players necessarily all the way. But I do kind of see these universities almost pivoting into like professional leagues they have the infrastructure they have the capital they have the support the only thing they have to do is just make it above ground and find ways you know to to run that operation legitimately and to pay players i don't think it's that inconceivable truly well if they were to do that pat they'd have to take men's basketball and football and make them their own things that's what they'd have to do at every single university because you'd also run into title nine issues with with paying the players as well. If you have to pay these players and you take the money out of the revenue that you're, you're pumping back into these other sports and all that stuff, well then there's sports that are going to have to get cut. And when you cut sports, you have to do it evenly across gender due to title nine. And so once again, that's just another can of worms. What sports are you going to cut? You can't cut. If you, if you cut one women's sport, you have to cut a men's sport. And then you're looking at, the majority of scholarships in most athletic programs coffers are given out to football players. So if you're taking out okay, so a, a women's soccer team and their scholarships, well, then you have to take out the scholarships from the football team. And it's just it's it's all it, there's a reason. There's many reasons why the players aren't getting paid. But one of the biggest reasons why they haven't been able to make really any headway on this exact issue other than or outside of the name image likeness issue is because it's just it's really hard for even an economist to break down let alone me some idiot talking into a microphone yeah and i do think we're gonna see that i mean one idiot to another i think we will probably see football and basketball separate and i thought it was really interesting we talked about the pac-12 players and their sort of list of demands one of those items on that list was sort of like defunding this extravagant spending on locker mm-hmm. rooms and facilities because we know for a fact that these universities are just flat out lying about what their revenue and profits are because they're, you know, have all of these expenses and these upgrades, these lavish upgrades that players, you know, probably are enjoying very minimally, right? They're still college kids. They don't want to spend their entire life in the locker room, in the football facility. And so I bet a lot of these, you know, overspent items are underused as well. And so that was one of the major demands. So I think if we really analyze these universities and how they spend their money and where this money could actually be allocated to, which is these saving these other sports that are much more 
I don't know what the, the phrase I'm looking for, but just much more like pure in the sense of collegiate athleticism. I think it's possible. Right? I, 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 there's enough money there. Like there's no one that can convince me there's not enough money there to make it work. It's just completely recategorizing and just rethinking about how we consider all these expenses and what and what college athletics is, especially at these. I mean, let's face it, especially the guys with the earning potential that the basketball and football players Mm-hmm. It's very, it's all very, very intriguing, Pat. I'm very, uh, very clued in as where this is going to go over the next couple of weeks. And as we're talking, uh, news came down today from Mark Schleybach of BSBN that the Big Ten has followed the Pac-12 in forming a unity yes. group. And I would be shocked if we don't see one pop up in the ACC, the Pac-12, the SEC. The reckoning is here, Pat, and these players are starting to band together due to the power of social media. They can communicate much easier and faster than they've ever been able to, and they're finally starting to realize and starting to get the wheels turning on a seemingly nationwide type of quote-unquote union mentality that they're taking in terms of getting their just due, and I'm I'm all for it. So let's close out this week's episode. It was jam-packed, went a little long this week, but that's what happens when the NBA returns, and there's so much great basketball to break down. Our favorite three things that we missed since the return, or excuse me, since sports was taken away from us and has now been reminded to us with the return of all this competition. I'll go number one. My favorite thing that I just did not realize that I missed since losing sports back on March 11th, it's just that NBA music, Pat, that that ESPN return music, the TNT music when you get it's usually the beautiful nightline capture of the uh, of the Houston skyline or the Toronto skyline with the six in the background. And you get a nice little do 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 that's round ball rock. But you get what I'm saying there. Just that beautiful Beautiful production music. So good to have it back. Beautiful selection. And that, I mean, there's something to be said about it. Every time these like channel uh, networks change their whole production layout too, it always takes a while to get used to. It was nice to have that back. Everything mm-hmm. did feel, did feel more normal. My first one I'm going to have to go to, I mentioned it last week. It's simply just day baseball. I just love having sports on all the time. I just love being able to sit down, go to cable, find where the sports are, where the baseball game's at, where the basketball game's at, day ball. I mean, we've never Especially had... right when you get home from work. It's yes, just nice. Yes. You can just immediately slot it on. You're good to go the rest of the evening. No more turning on Netflix and just, like, <laughs> scrolling for 35 minutes and just doing nothing, having on no this idea episode what to watch. Of scrolling Netflix. Exactly. For 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen so many previews of like the same movies that I just haven't clicked on and watched. I mean, it's just so nice to have that back. I, I don't I just need simple choices. I need the simplicity of my life. Having sports on all the time and something to put on the television at any given moment has been very nice for me. Number two, Pat, for me, is just the sound of a 400 plus foot homer. There's just something about the crack of that bat. It's even more emphasized now with no fans. And just watching, for example, this six home runs and seven game streak by our man Nick Castellanos, one of your uh, underdog, uh, under the radar picks for MVP. It's just a beautiful sound. It's There's nothing else like it. Similar to the swish in basketball, the sound of a 400-yard drive coming off a Tigers club face. 
there's this those small, minute, natural sounds that pop in the world of sports, and I don't think anyone holds a T to the sound of a 400-plus-foot homer. On the same note, my second is going to be a pitching ninja because mm-hmm. I was right there with you just getting these highlight reels of sunny gray curveballs missing bats by seven feet as they hit the dirt and humiliate batters or watching Jacob deGrom having an overlay of a 100 mile an hour fastball up and in to a 94 mile an hour slider that breaks three feet to an 88 mile an hour changeup that just stops in midair it's memor is mesmerizing I, I could watch it all day pitching ninja i can go on twitter just all day and scroll and watch his watch the clips he puts out nothing better especially when you have the rotation of the team we do and we get to root for people like sonny gray trevor bauer Elise castillo oh it's just so fun to watch those highlights makes you really cherish the movement on those pitches when you said that pat the first thing i thought of was i think it was either monday night or tuesday night dustin may 99 mile per hour two seam fastball that moved about two feet from the interior of the strike zone to it moved, the outside. It moved over zone. 17 inches, Russ, and it's like the first pitch in 10 years that StatCast has recorded or PitchFX has recorded that's gone over 99 miles an hour and traveled over 17 inches. There you go. I'm glad I brought that up, Pat. Thank you for that little little diddly Insane. right there. Beautiful little stat addition to Dustin May's dominance. Number three, rounding out this list and closing out this week's riding the three by three. It's the defense chant, Pat. Defense. <laughs> ch- ch- defense. Ch- ch. They only play it in the tightly contested NBA games. It's only really ever on these seeding games when it's final five minutes down to the wire. And that's to me, with the NBA being my favorite sport, the most magical time in all of sports. When it's 103, 105. LeBron James is bringing the ball up the court down two. He's running the offense like a floor general, ready to make something happen. You don't know what the tides of the game are going to turn to next, but you got that defense chant in the background as your little uh, soundtrack. That's got to be the pick for me. What do you got for us, Pat, to close it out? Yeah, okay. Number one thing I missed most was when you put like a few shroot bucks on a very nice plus money value underdog, and the game is won <laughs> the whole game. And you're having a lot of fun watching it. You know, your favorite players on the team are, are killing it. They've got, like, almost 40 points. And then they a missed free throw and a layup happens. And then overtime happens. And then they just completely botch overtime. And they lose the game right in front of you. And you lose all your shoot bucks. And it's just so fun. I miss the feeling so much. It was months that I went without it. And I'm just having an exhilarating time having that feeling again. <laughs> Any uh, particular instance where that happened, Pat, or is that just a that's just a coincidence here? Mark Cuban, one? Mark Cuban, tweet me. <laughs> I think you owe me a couple seven bucks. Seven point lead in the final minute thirty, Pat. Those don't get evaporated very often, but when they do, Dwight has Dwight Buck or Shroot Bucks <laughs> from Mister Fetch are on the line. That closes out this week's episode of Riding the Three by Three. So glad we could get this one in, Pat. It was a lot of fun breaking down the NBA, touching on all things coronavirus. And of course, the little things that we didn't think we miss, but we really did from the world of sports. We'll be back next week, breaking down hopefully some training camp battles in the NFL, get that in full swing, and the uh, the start or the horizon, uh, the start of the playoffs on the horizon for the NBA bubble. Major League Baseball, 
We'll take the temperature once again next week. We'll see if they're still around, but they are pushing through. That concludes this week's episode of Riding the 3x3. Have a beautiful weekend, everybody.